0: Standing. I want you to uh, look at Luke chapter 21, I'm sorry, chapter 23 and uh, verse number 33. Luke chapter 23, verse number 33. The Bible says of Jesus, it says, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Jesus was the the middle cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus had been led to the cross after being cruelly beaten, scorned, mocked, stripped naked in shame, nailed to a, 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 a rough, splintered, hewn cross, lifted up. Dying with his final breaths as people were scorning him, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And for just a few moments today, I want to share what God's put on my heart. title is The Victimless Crime of the Cross. The Victimless Crime of the Cross. Heavenly Father, over the next few moments as your spirit has moved into this place, and God, there's faith, there's expectancy. God, you're already working miracles I pray, Jesus, that along with that, there would be a tearing down of strongholds, a restoring of hope, Lord Jesus, a removal of fear and anxiety, and in the name of Jesus that your purpose in this place would be done, and we give you thanks for it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, let it be. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Heard a story about a lady who was, or a gentleman who was driving in his car, and, uh, noticed that he was being tailgated very closely by a woman driving behind him. And it just so happened that he came up on a stoplight and the stoplight turned yellow. He probably could have made it through, but instead he, uh, did the wise thing, brought his car to a stop as the light then turned red. Of course, he heard the squealing of the brakes behind him and, uh, heard the lady roll down the window and begin to shout obscenities and look back and saw the the ever popular one finger salute. She was frustrated because she could have got through the light behind him if he would have just pushed on through. As uh, the lady rolled up her window and waited for the light light to turn, she heard the tapping on the window and looked up to see a police officer who asked her to get out of the car and uh, So she stepped out of the car and she was actually taken to the police station. They put the car aside and they put her into a holding cell after they had fingerprinted and photographed her. While she was waiting, then finally the uh, um, person that works in the jail came, got her and brought her up to the front where the police officer offered his sincerest apologies to her for bringing her in. He said it was a mistake but when I saw the... WWJD bumper sticker on the back of your car and the fish license plate and the Choose Life sticker on your car and saw you cursing and flipping off the guy in front of you, I assumed the car had been stolen. Uh, You know, this story hits a little too close to home for comfort uh, because there are times when uh, for whatever reason, I've lost my cool in traffic and uh, felt like I was slighted, felt like somebody cut me off and uh, decided I was going to make sure that the score was evened. And afterwards, I realized how foolish it was and how contrary to my confession of faith that, is, that it was. But what is it that's behind this thing called road rage? What it is is somebody feels like they've been slighted and they're not going to allow it to go unaddressed. And here they are so tough and bad in their big multi-thousand dollar vehicle that could produce wreckage and carnage on humanity and here they are losing control. I think the reason that uh, in the past I've fallen prey to road rage is I can't stand to see something that was done not be addressed. One of the hardest things for, for me to watch is, if you've seen before the photos and even the uh, video evidence of the Second World War, Hitler regime, rounding up of the Jewish population, putting them into cargo trains to take them to uh, these camps, and um, seeing families with children getting off of these cars, just as they're instructed to do and being led. They don't know, but we know now with the benefit of a historical perspective that they were being led to a very, very cruel death. And uh, it's so hard for me to look at that. Why, and I'm wondering, why, why don't they push back? Why is there no fighting back? How, how terrible it is for something so egregious to happen for such a Uh, crime against humanity to transpire without it being addressed. And so when we look at these crimes against humanity that happen uh, without uh, restitution, it's hard to stomach and it's hard to swallow. That's why when we look at uh, the passage that we read of Jesus dying on the cross, experiencing the excruciating pain the pain to death in fact the word excruciating or the word cross comes from the same word as crucif- or crucifixion and excruciating are basically from the same root word and when we see the bitter thief on the cross who is cursing at those around him we see a traditional and typical response to such a crime against humanity but the real crime of the crucifixion was what was happening on the middle cross we know that jesus had never done anything wrong, had never hurt anybody, had never brought uh, any crime into the world. He was crucified because people were jealous of him, jealous of his power, jealous of his influence with the people. And so an innocent man had been beaten, stripped, and crucified. And what a terrible crime the cross represents. But I think it's interesting that today you see a cross in this building, You see people that wear crosses on their shirts or dangling from their necks. How is it that a symbol of defeat and shame became a symbol of victory and a symbol of Christianity? It's interesting that something so detestable, something so terrible, something so criminal becomes a symbol of victory. And I think the reason why, That the cross could be such a terrible crime, but it becomes the symbol of Christianity is in a large part because it was a crime that had no victim. It was a victimless crime. And, of course, I know that you may think, well, what do you mean? Obviously, there was a victim to the crime of the cross. Jesus was the one who was victimized on the cross. But you see his words in the midst of this experience when he declares, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What we learn is that while Jesus was being victimized, he was refusing to become a victim. While Jesus was experiencing offense, he refused to become a victim. And the power of the cross is in a large part due to Jesus' ability to be victimized without becoming a victim. There's a lot of things we learn from Jesus when you study the Scriptures, when you look at the New Testament, Jesus teaching what we learn through observation, what we learn through what he says, the power over sin, the power over sickness and disease, the power through his name, the power and victory that we have. But I believe today, what I feel impressed by the Spirit today is to draw attention to one of the greatest things that we can learn from Jesus and that is how to experience offense without becoming a victim how to be victimized without becoming a victim jesus experienced this and did not grow bitter did not let the cross defeat him but because his ability because of his ability to be victimized without becoming a victim it became a source of victory now when i talk about being a victim i'm not just saying that you experience offense or hurt or difficulty, or challenges in your life. When I say that Jesus was not a victim, what I'm saying is he did not allow the mentality of a victim to overcome him in the midst of his turmoil and his trial and his torment. A victim mentality is simply this. It's an acquired personality trait in which a person tends to recognize themselves as a victim of the negative actions of other people and to behave as if this were the case, even if there's evidence to the contrary. They recognize themselves as a victim of negative actions or experiences in their life. And most people who live with a victim mentality cannot overcome. They cannot become a victor. Many of them have actually been the victim of wrongdoing by others or suffered misfortune through no fault of their own. This victim mentality is something that can be developed from family members observing as a child or as a result of situations during childhood or even adolescence or adulthood. The characteristic of somebody who became a victim. See, I'm telling you this because we need to understand that Jesus was trying to teach us how to experience offense without becoming a victim Because if we want to have victory in our lives and be an overcomer, we've got to be like Jesus. And there's a lot of things that he taught us. And one of the things that he taught us is that you can go through hurt and offense and not be a victim. Amen? So what is a victim mentality? A victim mentality tends to show up as people identify others, situations or people as the cause for their current undesired situation. They put the blame elsewhere. They are hyper-vigilant in the presence of other people. What are they doing? They're looking for offense. They're always sensitive about offense. Uh, A person that's a victim is believing that other people are generally more fortunate than what they are. uh, Most everybody else is more fortunate than me is the uh, the mentality of a victim. And uh, oftentimes a victim gains relief through empathy from others, if I can get somebody else to feel sorry for me. And unfortunately, a victim mentality leads to self-abasing, which means putting yourself down even further than what you are currently. The psychological profile of a victim includes a pervasive sense of helplessness passivity, a loss of control, pessimism, which is negative thinking, strong feelings of guilt, shame, self-blame, and depression. And this type of thinking, this type of mentality can lead to hopelessness and despair. I want to remind you today that Jesus came to teach us how to be victimized without becoming a victim. In our culture, people are, in our culture tends to encourage or recognize a victim status. In this thing called identity politics, we've got to find out how we've been victimized or look for other people victimizing us. It almost becomes a cool or a hip thing to be a victim. And because of that, people are on the lookout for offense. Uh, People today are hyper vigilant and hypersensitive looking for offense. Uh, But I want to tell you today that it is the will of God that the believers in Jesus Christ uh, will experience offense but will not be offended. Will sometimes be victimized by circumstance and individuals but refuse to become a victim. I'm talking about being an overcomer. I'm talking about being mighty through Christ to the pulling down uh, of of strongholds and certain things that God wants to do through us. Uh, The problem is you can't be a victim and a victor at the same time. You can't overcome and at the same time see everybody as against you, be looking for slights all the time, always being easily offended. The problem is you can't be a victim and a victor at the same time. The second problem is we're all going to be victimized at one time or another. We're all going to experience offense. And most people will experience offense many, many times in their life. I'm talking about legitimate, real offense. So how can I be victimized without becoming a victim? I think, first of all, it's important To understand the meaning of the biblical word offense, Jesus and the apostles reference this word many times. In fact, 73 times in the Bible, the word offense or offended or offend is there. So, an offense can be a slight or something that causes us to carry resentment for the rest of our lives, it can be something small or something small that becomes something big. But this subject is given close scrutiny by Bible writers and by Jesus himself, the idea of offense. Jesus clearly taught that causing offense is dead wrong. Offending or causing people to stumble brings woe upon the person that brings about the offense. The apostles reinforced this truth as well. They said over and over again, don't offend your brother by your actions, saying, in essence, don't make your brothers stumble or create a situation where somebody else has uh, an opportunity uh, to be lost. Offense can lead to bitterness and hatred and can be a form of spiritual murder. When we think of offense or offended, uh, we think of this when someone says something that, in our opinion, is too harsh. It can offend us. Or we perceive that we've been overlooked or ignored, or uh, maybe we've been blamed for something that wasn't our fault, or on the other hand, maybe we're not getting the credit for something that we accomplished or something that we did. Uh, Offense comes from feeling that someone is inconsiderate towards us or thoughtless or maybe has used us. For their own purposes, this is the root of offense. There's many, many ways in which a person can be offended. These things um, that we just mentioned, maybe being overlooked or somebody we perceive being too harsh or maybe uh, uh, we haven't received credit or we receive received blame, these things fall short of the biblical definition of offense. Because the biblical definition that's used by Jesus and the apostles implies that a person's salvation is at stake. And if you are a believer, you have to learn how not to be offended by every little thing that happens. Uh, But as a believer, you're also looking not to create a stumbling block that would lead somebody else uh, to be lost. Uh, Because any offense, even small, when we apply it to ourselves, uh, it can endanger our salvation if we let it go far enough, depending on how we react to offense. So the biblical word offense actually refers to something that causes us to do something wrong, something that is a stimulus or a trigger for evil conduct. The Greek, one of the main Greek words is, that's used for offense, that's translated offense, is scandalizo, where the word scandal comes from. There's two usages. The first one is something that's annoying to you when the Bible says uh, uh, we need to pay the people so they don't get offended. That means they're going to get annoyed. But it also can mean a scandal, something significant that causes people to stumble and fall. But overall, the idea of an offense is an act or a series of acts that leads another person into sin. The Bible says we shouldn't do things that would cause our brother or our sister to fall into sin. So the key is, when you understand this, you have to learn that offenses are gonna come. They're going to happen, but you can't allow them to lead you into sin. And just as Jesus experienced a offense on the cross just as Jesus was victimized on the cross, but instead of it leading him to a loss of faith, it led him to a space of victory. He is teaching us how to be victimized without becoming a victim. Can you do that? Jesus was able to. Jesus was able to. See, irritations and annoyances can turn into bitterness and grudges. The Bible says that offenses will come That's inevitable, but the question is, how will you respond to offenses? Example in Scripture, the story of Joseph. What happened to Joseph? Joseph was a young man raised in a wealthy home. He was uh, the youngest for a while until his baby brother was born of a host of brothers, 10, 11 brothers. And uh, he uh, had God's favor on his life and a special relationship and connection with his dad But you know the story well, that at a certain point in this man, Joseph's young life, his brothers had an opportunity to even the score in their eyes. And what the the brothers did is they took and captured their brother, and they bound him up. No doubt, Joseph was weeping as his brothers perpetrated this violence and crime against him and tossed him into a pit hadn't done anything to them to hurt them. They were just jealous of him, and they left him in this pit. They were going to leave him there to die. And then they came up with an idea of rather than just a wasted life, why don't we get some money out of him? So they pulled their brother up out of the pit and sold him into slavery with a band of travelers. They sold their own brother into slavery So I want to tell you that uh, Joseph absolutely experienced great offense, victimization in his life. Uh, Not only that, but uh, it wasn't just his brothers, but circumstance victimized the life of Joseph as well. Joseph ended up in Potiphar's house. God favored him, but you know the story well. Potiphar's wife told a lie because she could not get Joseph to go against his values and lie with her. So because of his integrity, he was thrown into prison. He was victimized by circumstances while the whole time trying to do the right thing. While he was in prison, not only was he there for a little bit, but he was forgotten in prison by those who receive the word of deliverance through God's message to Joseph. How, Joseph, can you experience such crimes against you as a person? How can you be victimized so unfairly by circumstances and by people that are supposed to love you, your own brothers, yet at the end of the day, you end up on top because you are an overcomer, you're a victor? The reason is Joseph knew how to avoid becoming a victim even though he experienced, experienced many experiences uh, of victimization. Look, look at this scripture here in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 19. When Joseph's brothers came back to him, Joseph said unto them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, You thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, fear not. I will nourish you and your little ones and be comforted them. And he spake kindly unto them. What is this saying? Joseph is saying here, I'm not holding this against you guys. I'm in a position of power. I could even the score right now because what you did was grievous, but don't fear. You meant it for evil, but God brought something good out of it, so I'm not going to hold it against you guys. And somewhere, we don't read about it, but I imagine Joseph had to kneel down and say something similar to God. I'm not holding it against you that I was put in prison for being a good man. I'm not going to hold it against you the months and even years that I spent in prison, because God, I understand now that you meant it for good. He was able, come on now, somebody. He was able to experience offense uh, uh, by people, offense because of circumstances in his life that didn't go the way that he had hoped they had gone, and he felt like he was in a situation that was unfair and he faced things that he shouldn't have had to face but he was able to come through it and be an overcomer and I want to tell you this is the message of the cross the message of Jesus Christ is that you will experience offense and hurt in your life if it wasn't going to happen Jesus wouldn't have talked about it but he said it's going to happen you're going to go through it but from the example of my life I want you to learn that you can still be a victor you can still be an overcomer you can come out on top and you can recognize that even the offense or the hurt of other people, God can can, can uh, uh, turn it around. Amen? God has the ability to turn it around. God can get glory even out of a negative situation, even though they meant to destroy you and to hurt you and to tear you down. If you'll keep the right attitude and refuse to become a victim, God can turn. Come on, somebody. God can turn what should have destroyed you into what's going to exalt you. That's what the cross is about. But in order for that to happen, we got to learn some things from Jesus right now. We got to observe our example, Jesus Christ, the one who was able to avoid becoming a victim though he experienced tremendous offense. So here's what I want to tell you today. You can avoid living as a victim, but you got to learn four things from Jesus. Number 1, you got to learn from Jesus. Jesus, though master of all, considered himself a servant. It's hard to be offended when you consider yourself a servant of all. But when you consider yourself in a position that should be recognized and celebrated and uh, observed, it's easy to get offended. It's hard to get offended when you're a servant. It's easy to be offended when you don't see yourself as a servant. John 13, 5, Jesus said, After he poureth water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Following scriptures, Peter said, You're not going to wash my feet. You're the master. Verse 13, Jesus said, You call me master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Jesus is saying, if you don't get this message, you're not going to be happy. If you don't get this message, you're not going to be a happy believer. But if you understand that what I was trying to share with you is that I am, as master, a servant to all. And since I am a servant to you, I'm going to do this by kneeling down and washing your feet. Uh, The lowest thing that the lowest servant would do. And they're like, master, you're not going to wash my feet. He's like, no, I'm trying to get a message across to you. I'm washing your feet to teach you a lesson. And if you'll get this lesson, you'll be happy. If you don't get this lesson, you'll be surly. You'll be upset, you'll be easily offended, and your offense can turn you into a victim. But if you see yourself as a servant, amen, if you see yourself as a servant, it's... To shift the way that you view the world, Jesus said it this way uh, in another place. Jesus declared in in uh, uh, Matthew twenty three eleven, "He that is greatest among you shall be your servant." Uh, a servant, Amen, serves with humility and love. And think about this. Guess whose feet Jesus washed that day? Judas's. The man who had walked with him, who was a trusted disciple. For three years had been a friend, and now for several months this man had been conspiring against Jesus. Jesus knew it, but he knelt down and washed his feet. He's saying, you may uh, victimize me, but I'm not going to be offended because I'm your servant. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus, help us. Come on, let's ask Jesus to help us right now because God wants to turn us into a group of overcomers, but the only way we can overcome is we've got to learn some things from Jesus. And right from the very get-go, Jesus said, I am a servant to all. I'm washing your feet as a servant to all. And even he washed Judas's feet that day. Number two, the second thing that we have to learn from Jesus is we have to learn to turn the other cheek. We have to learn to to turn the other cheek. Well, Jesus was teaching in the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, if, you're, if someone strikes you, turn the other cheek as well. If somebody shoes you for your coat, give him your cloak as well. Now let me just make something plain right here and something clear to you. When Jesus is teaching here on the Sermon on the Mount, when he says something like this, It's a mistake if we think that we should strictly, literally, and absolutely take the words that Jesus is saying here and apply them to our lives because Jesus was using a teaching technique, and I can prove it to you here in Scripture. It's called hyperbole, which is exaggeration to make a point. Jesus was flipping the script for them. He was bringing them a new kingdom uh, principle. So he wasn't telling us literally that if somebody strikes us, that we're to turn around and tell them to strike the other cheek any more than he was literally telling you to gouge your eye out if your eye offended you or cut your hand off if your hand offended you. He was using hyperbolic statements to make a point that you've got to switch the way that you've been thinking. Remember in one place uh, the scripture says that uh, if you don't uh, hate your mother, your father, your sister, and brother, then you can't be my disciple. Was Jesus really meaning that we are supposed to hate these? No, Jesus didn't teach to hate anyone. He was using a hyperbolic statement to make a point. So what is the meaning of turning the other cheek? What is Jesus teaching us to do when he says, uh, you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I'm telling you to turn the other cheek. Uh, What he is saying, if you look at it at its face value, he is saying you've got to be able to experience offense and not retaliate. Not retaliate. The eye for the eye means they did this, they're getting this back. Tooth for a tooth says they did this, they're getting this back. Turning the other cheek means it hurt, but I'm moving on. It hurt, but I'm not going to get you back. I'm going to just be victimized and be offended, but I'm not going to become a victim, and I'm not going to become offended. I'm going to move on, and I'm going to tell you right now, this is where the Lord is dealing with us when we grow as Christians, because our human nature, our human response is if they do me wrong, then they're going to get it back. If I'm slighted, then I'm going to make sure that the score is made even. This is what the Bible is saying. times we look at this and say ah oh, Jesus said to, uh, tell somebody to punch us back in the face i'll never be there i'll never be at that point spiritually and so we just can discount this passage that's not what it's saying it's saying you can be offended but you you can have offense come at you but you refuse to get to bring about retribution you move on and i want to tell you that this is a powerful thing that Jesus understood that enabled him to walk in victory and turn the cross from a curse into something powerful is that he refused to become a victim when he was victimized. He had the power to turn the other cheek. Somebody say amen right now. Hallelujah. And so as believers, as believers, we learn that we can have injury without revenge. We can turn the other cheek. We can move on. As believers, we should be the ones. Here's the true meaning of turn the other cheek. You're the one de-escalating the situation rather than escalating the situation. And so God speak to us right now. Because strife, arguing, conflict is a sign of spiritual immaturity. The Bible says, I can't give you anything but milk because you still contend for your own. You're still not like Jesus. And when you are like Jesus. You can experience offense. Now this does not mean that you invite continued abuse into your life. It simply means that you refuse to retaliate when you experience hurt and offense. Now, I'm not talking about being a weak person I'm not talking about being somebody that is run over. I'm talking about being an ultimate warrior victor. Amen? I'm talking about overcoming ultimately in the end is we have to learn, oh, nobody's shouting. I wonder why. Nobody's shouting here. But I want to tell you that Jesus wants to enable you. If you're going to be an overcomer, if you're going to be a believer, if you're going to do great things for God, if you're going to be a minister, you have to learn. Somebody help me right now. You have to learn to be victimized without becoming a victim. Point number three of four. You gotta forgive them. You gotta forgive people. You gotta forgive people. Jesus said it on the cross while he was in the midst of this horrific experience. He said, Father, forgive them. Wow. I mean, you took take that and, and apply it to your own life. It's easy to look at Jesus on the cross and say, hmm, he was able to forgive them. But think about your own situation. And the offense or the hurt or the negative things that have been said, the negative things that have happened in your life as a result of somebody else, that you can, like Jesus, say, Father, forgive them. Man, Jesus made a huge point of this. I know, uh, you know, we like to jump and shout and get our Holy Ghost on, but when it comes down to it, we got to look at what the Word of God is teaching us and what, what Jesus expected us to live. And it's only through the power of the Spirit, amen, because our human nature won't allow us to do this without the empowerment of the Spirit. But Jesus said, you got to forgive somebody 70 times 7 of the same offense in one day. That is a profusion of forgiveness. I know I talk about this a lot, but where God's taking us as a church, I know the enemy's going to attack. And if we have a group of people in this church that can be offended without becoming a victim, then the enemy will not know what to do with this church as it moves forward. God's preparing us right now. I believe God's taking us through a season of preparation for the next level. Because when the church starts moving forward, when it locks into gear and lurches forward, you better believe the enemy's not going to be happy. But there better be some people that are not only powerful with God, but they know how to experience offense without becoming a victim, without becoming offended. Because if the enemy can use anything to try to cause us to stumble, to try to cause the church to falter. He will. But what about a church that doesn't stumble over what causes other people to stumble? What about a church made up of people that don't slip on the same things that cause other people to slip up? How do you do that? you got to be like Jesus. you got to be able to experience offense that comes at you and not be offended. Come on. I'm talking about right now growing up spiritually and saying, God, let it happen in us. The Bible teaches... The, the word tormentors is only mentioned one time in Scripture. Matthew 18, 34. It says, His Lord was wroth, or angry, and determined and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother, their trust passes. I want you to notice this word tormentors. It's the only time it's mentioned in Scripture. Oftentimes the word torment refers to hell. God is saying, Jesus is saying here that if you harbor unforgiveness, it's hell on earth. It's torment on earth. And I, I just noticed this in Scripture. He says he's going to deliver you to the tormentors until you paid what you originally owed. This goes from the story where the man was forgiven a great debt, and then he went and wouldn't forgive another man of a small debt. It says you're going to be in prison to the tormentors until the pound of flesh is taken out of you. Amen? How many are so glad that we don't have to reap everything that we've sown? How many are so glad that God's forgiveness in our life enables us to sidestep so much judgment. But God says if you can't let forgiveness flow in your life, you're going to be released to the torment that's going to execute that judgment that you were sidestepping through God's forgiveness. But if you let forgiveness flow in your life, then you can be released from the torment that would extract the judgment that would come from you. So if you want to learn how to be victimized without becoming a, a victim, you have to learn to forgive and let forgiveness flow in your life and release people from the debts that they hold against you. Come on, somebody say amen if you believe that. Unforgiveness opens the door to torment to a lifetime of victimhood, a mentality that keeps you oppressed and repressed. And the last thing about Jesus that we learned that enabled him to be victimized without becoming a victim is the love that was shed abroad in his life. God is love. At the root of what enabled Jesus to experience the cross without becoming a victim, at the core of it was that Jesus was full of the love of God. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5. It says, love suffereth long and is kind. It envieth not. It vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up, nor does it behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not her own. It is not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. What is the Bible saying here? It says is love is never quick to take offense. Because when you have the love of God flowing through your life, it enables you to overcome evils and offenses. When God's love is shed abroad in our life. To get the full meaning of this, you'll have to listen to Wednesday night's Bible study where we talked about the love of God. The Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit only comes when you're abiding in the vine. So God's love can only flow through us when we're connected. And if we're disconnected, we can't fake it. We can't force fruit to pop out if we're disconnected. But if we're in relationship with God, if His Spirit is flowing through Him, if we're in the Word of God, if we're walking daily in prayer, then guess what's going to flow out of our life? The kind of love that Jesus had that is easily provoked, uh, that doesn't get offended easily, but's able to cover a multitude of sin or a multitude of offense, Uh, Jesus was able to be on the cross uh, in full pain, uh, being offended and hurt and struck, having been turned in by his dear friend. He was able to experience that and not become a victim because love was flowing through his life. Amen. Oh, God, let the love of God be shed abroad in my heart. Let's put our hands together and praise the Lord for his word. Amen. Could you stand together with me right now? So today, we've experienced the visitation of the Spirit of God. God's moved in this place. There's been healing released in this house. And today, God's Word has come to release us, to release us from enemy strongholds. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5 says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. What I believe God wants to do in this place is God wants to do super, something supernatural through the power of the Word of God and the power of the Spirit of God. Because the Bible says what we war against, this battle that we're in is not going to be fought by human means, human ingenuity, by human assertiveness, by fighting against humanity or other people. But it says, the weapons of our warfare, through these weapons, the word of God, prayer, the Holy Spirit, there is power for strongholds to be torn down. And when we talk about a stronghold, what are we talking about? Well, it says here, casting down imagination, every thought that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. A stronghold is something in your mind, a way of thinking a way of thinking that keeps you from walking in victory. In the Old Testament, we hear about strongholds in battle. What were they? I've said this before, but what a stronghold was was a hiding place, usually in the side of a hill, perhaps in a cave, where an enemy combatant could put his weaponry, his bow, His bows and all the arrows have a stock of arrows. And when whoever they were competing against or fighting against would come up, the soldiers would be down there engaging with the soldiers. But every time whoever was fighting against the enemy would begin to make progress from the stronghold, a sniper who was hiding out, had the ability to undermine all the progress that the other side was making. Because he was in a hidden place, he'd wait till the right moment, and shoot an arrow that would destroy the progress. And in order for the army to make progress, somebody had to go up and take down the stronghold. And once the stronghold was rooted out of the hillside then they could make forward progress. And I want to tell you what a victim mentality, it's a way of thinking that's a stronghold of the enemy that keeps you from moving forward. This idea that I'm where I am because of what somebody did to me or something that happened in my life. And uh, holding this resentment becomes a stronghold. What does that mean, Pastor? It means every time you start to make progress, the enemy says, I know where I can go. I got a spot there in their mind it's a way of thinking that enables me to string up the arrow and to stop them in their tracks so as long as the enemy has a stronghold see that's what jesus was trying to teach us on the cross he's saying don't give place to the devil Don't become a victim of circumstances in your life because it becomes a stronghold that the enemy can use against you for the balance of your natural life to keep you from progressing where God wants you to be and and what God wants you to do. But the word of God today is powerful enough to tear down a stronghold for you to cast down imagination and bring every thought into captivity to the Word of God. What are we saying? That there are things in your mind that you have allowed a space for that has to be uh, uh, taken down. And you cannot do it through human means. You cannot do it through uh, uh, your your own way of doing business. It can only happen as a work of the Spirit through the powerful uh, weapons of our spiritual warfare. So right now, in the name of Jesus, there is victory, that God has for us, but we're not talking about a momentary victory. We're talking about a quantum change in the way you do business, a change in life, a change in the way that you see things, a change in the way that you exist. For too long, are you listening to me right now? For too long, too many of us have been satisfied with a momentary victory. That gives us a good euphoric feeling in the presence of the Lord. And then we go back out and start to make progress and the stronghold is still there. What is the stronghold? The stronghold is a victim mentality. The stronghold oftentimes is a fence that's been left there. Amen. But in the name of Jesus right now, I'm praying that somebody would begin to walk in victory and make progress that's not temporary, but that is a leap forward that's only going to lead to a greater leap forward. You know why? Because that's what happens when we become more like Jesus. When we become more like Jesus, he's like, okay, I can move you along. And if you think I'm here pointing all my fingers at you, one finger means three are pointed back at me. Because what God wants to do in my life in the future, he made it plain to me. He left a mark to He made it plain to me that the only way I can use you, the way that I want to use you, is you have to learn to experience offense without getting offended. You have to learn to be victimized without playing the victim. You have to learn, amen, just like Jesus, to say, Father, forgive them. Let me just give you a little tip now. Then we're going to let the Holy Ghost move in this place. Because I feel like there's some victory that God wants to to produce in in some Christian lives right now. But this is this is an awesome revelation from the Word of God, because some of you may be like, "I, I I try to forgive, but I can't. I really want to forgive, but I can't let it go, because I look at the ledger and they owe me so much, because of what they did or because of what happened in my life. I can't ignore the ledger. I can't ignore the debt. What did Jesus say? What did Joseph say? Pretty much the same thing. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Joseph said, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. <laughs> I want to tell you, you can go through difficulty and not get mad at God only when you understand that God has a bigger plan. You can go through the offense of individuals, current, past, deep past, and release it when you understand that God can take this and redeem it and get glory out of it and use it. And I want to tell you right now, when you get this revelation, you can go through a tough season. Come on now. You can go through a season of lack. You can go through a season of offense. You can go through a season of hurt. And not let it change who you are because you realize God's doing something. I don't know what it is. I don't understand it. But God's doing something in me. I'll probably understand it better down the road. I'm not even going to try to figure it out now. But one thing I do know, that nothing I go through will I have to go through without God's permission. Turn to your neighbor and look him right in the eye and say, God's in control. Come on, tell, tell him. you know what's awesome the thing that blows my mind is God can even redeem my stupidity bring about his glory Jesus was on the cross dying he said father forgive them because he experienced the greatest offense you can imagine he was victimized by the greatest crime You can imagine, but he refused to be a victim. Therefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And where did it It happen? At the cross. It happened at the cross of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, in the name of the Lord. I want to pray right now, and as I'm praying, uh, we're limited on space here. But, but I want the Word of God to bring about transformation and change. And so I want us to pray for one another right now. Because there's someone here, and you, and you haven't realized up to this point, that your progress was not being stymied by the circumstances in your life. And you weren't being held back by the actions of other people. But the reason you weren't progressing is because of a stronghold of offense or victim mentality. And the Lord's saying right now, it's up to you. Are you going to keep up with it? Are you going through the power of the Word of God, through the power of prayer? Or are you going to tear it down? In Jesus' name, are you going to walk in revelation? That means circumstances used to look one way, but when you have a revelation in the future, those same circumstances are going to look completely different to you. Because you're operating in revelation. I want you to reach over and pray for the person next to you right now. God's in control. I don't have to be resentful. I don't have to be fearful. I don't have to be anxious. (laughs) I don't have to worry about tomorrow because the Lord is in control. And in Jesus' name I pray for my brothers and sisters in this place, Jesus. Your word is powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the dividing asunder soul spirit joint and marrow discerner of the thoughts and the hearts of men and your word right now as a mirror is being laid down in front of your people and jesus you are speaking right now through the power of your word and there's power to the tearing down of strongholds and i pray for those lord jesus who have been hurt in their life who've experienced offense is very real through circumstance or at the hands of other people I pray in the name of Jesus right now. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that they would refuse the cloak of victimhood, that they would cast it aside like the beggar did when he came to Jesus. Bartimaeus said, I'm not going to be a beggar anymore. I'm casting aside the garment of a beggar. And I'm not going to be a victim anymore. I'm casting aside the garment of a victim. And I'm going to be a victorious overcomer through the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. In Jesus' name, I pray for every person here that's here today that's going through a difficult time in their life right now. And the enemy's tried to cause them to feel fear or anxiety because of their circumstances. But in Jesus' name, I pray in the midst of this time, this difficulty, this time where they feel they're victimized by circumstances. In Jesus' name, I pray that they would understand greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. And no matter what comes, no matter what happens, I can be an overcomer. I can be a victorious through the word of my testimony and through the blood of the Lamb. Holy Ghost, move right now. Holy Ghost, speak and work in this house. Let the love of God be shed abroad in the hearts of men and women. Hallelujah. Jesus There is power